We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two. All engines running. Ten questions with Adam Zwar. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. Hello, we're back with another 10 questions. My guest this week is the journalist and TV host, Jan Fran. Jan Fran was born in Lebanon, came to Australia when she was a kid, grew up in Bankstown, went to the University of Technology in Sydney, then started working for SBS current affairs shows Dateline and Insight before becoming a foreign correspondent and filing from Bangladesh and then Uganda. That's a lot of info, but she's lived a full life. When she returned to Australia, she became a presenter on SBS's The Feed, and it was a work on a feed segment called The Frant, which won her a 2019 Walkley Award. Since then, Jan Frant's appeared on Q&A, The Today Show, Studio 10, and she's a regular on the project. We talked about her Superman husband, her father's dislike of television, even though that would end up being his daughter's career, and her burgeoning squash game. As usual, I started by asking Jan Fran, when she was most happy? You know, probably in the summer of 2013-14 when I met my now husband and it was the headiest time, I think. And I only realised how, no, I think I realised in the moment how, how happy I am. I don't know, you know when you start a new relationship and it's just the best, you know? Um, you're like, you're excited, you're giddy, you love that they're coming over, everything's new, everything's, um, and that was, that was how it was with him. And I just remember there were moments where I just thought, you know what, the world could burn right now. And I don't think I'd even notice. Um, yeah, there's this, there's this line from, you know, that, that, that Gautier song, what's that, um, somebody that I used to know. And there's a, there's a line in that track that's like, now and then I think of when we were together, when you said you felt so happy you could die. Mm. And I remember hearing that line and I was like, that's it. That's, that's the feeling. Like I, I felt so happy that I could have just called it a day and been like, cool. Well, I'm, 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 I'm hit peak happy, baby. You know, I'm out. There's, there's nothing more for me in this world. <laughs> How did you meet? Oh, we met at a rave. We met at a Bushdorf. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, just a, the classic, classic story of romance there. Uh, late night Bushdorf meeting. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, the rest is history, as they say. And, and were you uh, based in Australia then or were you, were you like living overseas? You are a foreign correspondent for a while, weren't you? Yeah, I was always... Um, Oh, not always, but I was predominantly based in Australia. So I was kind of traveling and coming back here. So yeah, I was I was living in Sydney. We were just living, we were living suburbs apart. Like, no, not even suburbs, a suburb. Yeah, like a few blocks apart. What am I talking about? Um, and he would like ride ride up on his bicycle. And he just sort of showed up. <laughs> I know he's probably not gonna mind me saying this, but let's see. Um yeah, when we first met, he'd kind of just show up, sort of just show up at my house, which, you know, my housemate would kind of, yeah, she'd knock on my bedroom door. She's like, um, that guy with the beard is here. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. Um, which would have been creepy if I didn't actually quite like it, you know? 
Um, no, and you guys are still going strong despite lockdowns and, and everything. Still going strong despite lockdowns. Yeah. Yeah. This is just a minor hurdle. Look, t- 2020 and 2021 have been oddly challenging because of like the proximity to each other in a tiny apartment. Love him. Love him. <laughs> let me let me just get that out there so everyone knows. Um, but, yeah, man, it's been intense. The second question, who would you like to apologise to and why? I mm, don't know how deep to go here. Um, can we come back to that question while I mull mull over it in my brain? Yeah. Okay. Number three, what is your greatest regret? Do you want to know something? I think regret is the most useless of all the emotions. And I try very hard not to feel it because I think either you go through something and you learn from it, in which case you wouldn't regret it because some good has come of it or you leave it in the past because you can't change it. You know, regretting something's not going to change something that's already been done, right? The only thing you can really do is learn from it, in which case, like I said, I wouldn't regret something that I learned from because I'd feel like I'm a better person for having gone through it. Um, so it's funny that you should ask that question because I genuinely do not, like I have no respect for that emotion. I, I don't, I, I, I unless... Unless it's moving you forward in a direction of growth, in which case you wouldn't regret the thing that got you there because it got you there. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But you sound like a winner. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> full, I'm full of regrets. Are you? Yeah, yeah. The next day, you know, if I've said something stupid at a party or, you know, um, you know, even if I've seen someone down the street and I go, why did I ask that question? Why, why, why uh, I let that go? Yeah, but I mean, like, I I, I did an interview yesterday for um, a a TV show and the minute I got off, I was like, oh, God, why didn't I say this other thing that is a lot funnier and smarter and that's the thing that I actually wanted to say? Um, But then I just thought to myself, I just, next time, just do more prep. Like, cool, you didn't say the thing that you wanted to say. If you don't know, now you know. So the next time someone's going to call you up and say, oh, we want you to talk about X, Y, and Z, just sit down for five minutes, plot it out in your head, you're going to be in a much better position. So overall, I had that brief moment of regret, but I didn't regret that experience, if that makes sense. And that is something that I kind of try and apply just more generally because regret is such a, it can be quite toxic and circular. I hate circular things and circular thoughts because they don't go anywhere and you just go over them and over them and over them. And for me, I'm like, what's what's the end point here? Where, where are we going? If it's nowhere, then I'm going to stop thinking about this because this has stopped being of any service to me. And if it's somewhere, then you just go to that somewhere and you don't regret the thing that helped you get there. So nothing is the short answer to that question. <laughs> Great. I love it. I'm taking inspiration from you. Uh, what will you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Probably make, make a bit more of a difference for young, um, especially women of colour, especially Lebanese women of colour, not biased, but I am, um, to, to kind of have a, a bit more of a direct pathway into the arts. Mm. 
I feel like that's something that I, that's something that I'm sort of trying more and more to focus my energies on. Cause I feel like I'm, I'm in that space and I, you know, the pathway for me getting here was a bit, mm, sometimes it felt a bit unconventional and, and not, not super smooth. I'd like to create a bit more of a smoother pathway for others. And I think that's happening because I think more and more people are kind of cottoned onto this and are trying to do that as well. Um, but I feel like more and more, because there's so many things that I want to change and do and work towards and be about, like fix climate change and domestic violence. You know, there's all these really kind of important things and you can't do them all. You just cannot. Um, it's impossible. And so for me, I think the focus is is really on kind of creating those pathways toward uh, creating those pathways for you know people who grew up like me in the western suburbs of Sydney with a kind of a multicultural background um, to be able to you know create work that is representative of a greater Australian narrative I think. How did you transition from you're still in journalism but how did you transition from journalism to the arts? I think it sort of happened gradually because it was, you know, like you, you, I graduated with a journalism degree. I'm truncating here. There was a few other bits and pieces, but you graduate with a journalism degree. Cool. I did end up with the cadetship. I did, you know, um, news. I did Dateline. Um, and then the feed started and the feed was a show on SBS that was sort of like straddled a little bit more than news. It sort of fell in, in the middle of several Venn diagrams. So it's like news, comedy, documentary, sketch, you know, so you were sort of able to then experiment in all of those worlds. And I think I just had a kind of a natural proclivity for performance. Um, and then from there kind of created my own thing, the Frant, which was news, but sort of satire, sort of commentary, sort of something. Um, and then from there got a book deal. So I was writing um, and started doing more writing rooms and, you know, end up, you know, on the project in various other places. So it's kind of this very, you know, organic transition that happened actually over a period of 10 years, really. Like I got the cadetship in 2009 and it's, it's, it's good. I feel like sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're making documentaries and you get to write a scripted series, it's so good because you're like, oh, my God, I can just create all the characters. I don't have to rely on you know finding real people and having to produce this thing I can just make up the people and you know that they're going to say the thing that you want them to say in the time that you need them to say it because they're actors and you've written it and this is amazing that's true you don't have to make too many phone calls you know don't have to convince anyone no you don't have to try and get people over the line you don't have to make sure that you know they're good talent and they're comfortable on camera it's like mate People want to be here and they are comfortable on camera and this is the best thing to ever happen. I get you. Um, who is the person who most influenced you and how? You know, it's cliche to say, I guess, but my dad. I don't know. Is that cliche? Really, I think he's been a fundamental influence on my life um, just in terms of the way that that he thinks, the way that he views the world, the way that he treated us as, you know, girls growing up in, you know, my background's Lebanese, it, it is, it can be a very patriarchal community and environment growing up. You have, you know, this was the 90s and the noughties, so it mm. was a different time. You're talking like 30, 20 years ago. Um, and I think 
that really had an impact on me, um, you know, just nurturing a love of books and a love of knowledge. Um, my dad used to have these rules where he hate, hates television, which is ironic um, because I end up on the television. And I think part of that's like some weird Freudian shit where it's like, you know, you hate television? Well, fuck you, dad, because I'm going to be on the television. You know, that was not at the forefront of my mind, but it could have been somewhere deep in my psyche. Who knows? Um, but he had this rule where if you wanted to watch half an hour of television, you had to read for half an hour. Oh, nice. And he had this, like, chart on the wall that was, like, you know, divided into columns, which was, like, the name of the book, the page, page number to page number that you read from, the time that you read the pages from, and then a little synopsis of what happened in the, the pages that you read. And then when you could like prove that you'd read for half an hour, you were allowed to watch half an hour of television, which I hated at the time, hated him for it. But, you know, of course, hindsight and you, you grow up and you're like, oh, man, that was genius. That was okay. actually what, you know, fostered my love of learning, of books, of the world, of kind of critical thinking as well. What did he do? He's an accountant. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, he's I mean, yeah, immigrants it's it's one of those things. Like we came in 1989, my dad was in his 30s and you you do what you have to do, right? Mm. Like you don't do what you love because you can't you do what needs to be done. Um and I think for him starting a business was that. Were you born here or in Lebanon? No, I was born in Lebanon. And and so you you moved out uh when you were how old? 4 in 1989. And so English English is actually my, my second language. Obviously, you learned English at school, did you? Or did you learn it before you actually went to school? Or how did that kind of all happen? I So I did a few years of school. I went to an international school um, when I was in Lebanon and started from a, a quite a young age, so sort of like three. Um, and they taught us English. And there's this video of me at our preschool graduation in 1989, just before we left to come to Australia, where I'm like wearing a little graduation outfit with with a little hat. And I was doing the like welcome speech to parents in English. And it's this, it's this complete, like I look at that video and I'm like, who is that? Who is that child? You know, with this like Arabic accent, welcoming parents in English at this, you know, preschool in North Lebanon in 1989. Like it's, it's very otherworldly. Of course. Did you lose your accent straight away? And, and, or was that, was there teasing at school? I mean, no, I don't remember there being teasing at school. I mean, I went, I grew up in Bankstown, which is the most multicultural, (laughs) you know, council of the most multicultural city in possibly the world, possibly top five, at least. Um, So everyone was from everywhere. And I, I don't really have too many recollections of being in kindergarten, but I definitely would have just learnt English on the fly, just pick, picked it up as I went. Um, and I, I couldn't really tell you when I lost my accent, um, but it would have happened relatively early on. And it's funny because we never learnt grammar. Um, I'm part of that generation. There's a, there's a massive cohort of, like, people in their 30s. I don't know if you're... 
if you're also one of them, but we, we would never talk grammar. Went out of fashion about 10 years after I finished school. Okay. See, that was no good for me because I had, because I learned the, the, this language on the fly um, and I was always sort of very good at speaking, not as good at writing. And it was really hard for me to learn another language because when you're learning, and I, I learned French as well. And when you learn another language, you know, it's all about the grammar and the conjugation and the subjunctive tense. And, and I was like, what the fuck is a subjunctive tense? Mm. You know, I'd, I'd never actually kind of academically grasped any of those concepts. I was just doing them organically. Um, yeah, which, which made it very difficult learning. But did your dad's policy of, of making you read every night, did that help almost by osmosis? Did you understand the grammar? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, by osmosis. But even now, like I'm, you know, I'm allegedly writing a book. Um, oh my God, I hope my publishers never listen to this website, but uh, to this podcast. Um, but even then, that's it's been really hard because I don't, I, I'll write a sentence and then I'll be like, is that grammatically correct? Like, is this book going to be a piece of shit? Like, is someone just going to read this book and go, what the fuck? This person cannot write. Their grammar is all over the place. I, I can't tell you. Like, I cannot tell you where a semicolon works in a sentence. I'm sorry. You, you're with 99% of English speakers there. You know, the, the, and by the way, the semicolon is the most debated bit of punctuation there is, you know, and, and the most maligned. Oh, good. So it's not just no, me. I feel no, better. It's not Thank just you. you. When was the last time you cried and why? Uh, the last time I cried was June 26, 2021, um, because I was going to a wedding and it was the day that the lockdown was announced in Sydney. And the wedding was happening that day. I'd pulled out of the reception the night before and it really upset one of my oldest friends. And it was just awful, but just me having to decide that and then having to decide whether I'm going to go to the church and my partner saying, I don't think you should go. And me saying, I, I feel like I, I need to go. This is like my oldest friend. She's getting married. The fucking lockdown is happening. It was just a really awful situation and it kind of really culminated for me that morning when I was watching the press conference, feeling stressed, feeling awful, feeling confused. Yeah, I lost it. And what happened? Did you go? I did. I, I went I went to the church. Yeah, I mean, weddings were, were still allowed to proceed. So, you know, I, I decided to kind of go to the church and, and miss the reception. and. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that was the right decision. I don't know. Um, it's not a decision I wanted to make. Let me tell you, I fuck. I, how I, I would just wish that whole time. I was like, oh man, why couldn't this happen? Like either a week earlier or a week later, and everyone would know where they're at. But they just changed the rules so incrementally up until the last minute that it was so hard for anyone to make. A decision you know especially the people getting married but but I was looking forward do you know how long I've been looking forward to it for so long like the minute the date was announced I was like boom it's in the calendar 
it's happening. We're going to party. There's no more COVID. Um, I mean, of course, I didn't think that. But, you know, we, we got to a point in Sydney where it was like, cool, like we've, I, we feel like we've got things under control for the most part. Like life can kind of generally resume in some sort of normality. Weddings were going ahead. Um, yeah, and this one was had been had been booked for months, and I'd just been looking forward to it so much. And that week, there was just you know, you sort of started to see the numbers. And you're like, no, hang on, we got this. I think Gladys got this. She's got this. She's good. We're all right. We're good. And then it kind of got to Friday, and it was like, Gladys, Gladys, don't got this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is your current state of mind? Um. Well, I'm. You know. Lockdowns aside, <laughs> um, the inability to move freely, put that to one side. Uh, state of mind's good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling, I'm feeling very grateful. I really am. Um, and every time I come to complain about, you know, COVID or things not really returning to normal as quickly as what I'd hoped, I just, I remember how good I have it. <laughs> You know, like I'm well, I'm healthy. My family is the best. I really miss them. I really can't wait to see them. My husband is the best. You know, I was complaining about him at the beginning of this podcast, but my tune has changed. <laughs> He's the best, you know, and honestly. You won't complain. Um, you won't complain. I wasn't. Com- I was just highlighting a situation, mm. you know. It's just being being open. Um, but, yeah, you know, just being able to do the work that I do, it's, that's so much fun. So I'm good, man. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Probably getting better at squash. (laughs) Even though, can I preface to all of the listeners that I am still rubbish, but um, like I don't, I don't love sports. I've I've never really been able to stick to a sport or an exercise regimen. I never played team sports growing up. Don't really watch sport that much, but I love squash. Yeah, right. I love it. And every time I walk onto a squash court, like when it's just you're about to play a game and you open the door and you get in there, it's just like this is the best. Um, and I remember when I was first introduced to it, I just I was like, oh, my God, what has this sport existed my whole life and I didn't know? How dare no one tell me about it? Do you wear those glasses, like those, like to protect your eyes? No, only because, I mean, my game is so bad that there's no danger of the ball hitting you and permanently scarring your face, so it's fine. Um, but it's gotten so much better. And it was one of those things that I kind of deliberately put, put my mind to and was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to get better at this. I'm doing it. I'm getting better right. at squash. And I always, I've always find that, like, my achievements are, are measured by how much, by it, it could even be the smallest thing, but if it was something that I said, okay, I'm going to do this, and then I did it, that's a great achievement in my books, you know, because you've, it's, it's deliberate and you've kind of executed a thing that you've had in your mind or you've actually manifested a thing in real life that, that you conjured in your mind. I think that's very powerful because once you have the formula for that, I mean, you could apply it to anything. That's, that's, that's a magic formula if you can work out how to replicate that and, and scale up. 
Yeah, for sure. I think that's great. I think it's great. And, and, and squash being the metaphor for everything. Yeah. Um, oh, Adam, it's the best sport. It's so much fun. Do you play? No, I play tennis, but um, I like the idea of, of being undercover because I've got, like, I'm a redhead, so <laughs> I shouldn't be in the sun. Yep. Yep. Squ- squash is good for white people. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, but, you know, no, we've got to bring it back. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to make squash great again. You know, that's that's the vibe. Totally. Um, who would you want on your side in a battle and why? I mean, the person that I want on my side is the person that is very fortunately for me by my side, hopefully permanently, is my husband. Wait, hang on. What kind of battle? Like are we talking like a battle of like a battle starting a business or like a battle going into war? Because... No, he would be garbage at war. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I would not want that man in my army. No. Um, no, but just like as a partner in life, facing the battle of life, definitely my husband. What's he bring to the party? Oh, he just, he's so generous with his time. He will, you know, help me out with anything I need. He will drop everything and help me out in an instant. He's really good. He's a really good person to bounce ideas off as well. Like in my profession, he's in a sort of a similar profession. He's a director. Um, and he's just a really good person to bounce ideas off. He's very calming. It's like anytime just hectic shit happens or like I get a bit anxious about something or, you know, like things become overwhelming. He's He's got a very kind of calming presence about him. And every time I speak to him, I just feel like, oh, I'm, I'm centered again. Like my, my, he's put my feet on the ground again. Um, he's so determined as well. Like he just, and you know what, when you ask him to do something, fuck, he does it like, like I'm doing chef kiss. Like it's, he just, he does it so perfect, like almost too perfectly, you know? Um, so you, 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 you just, you just know that, like, I just know that if I leave something here, like if I'm like, Hey babe, can you, can you make dinner tonight? Like it will be made to a T, you know, the recipe down, it's a fine art. The kitchen will be clean. There's the dinner. I, I feel shamed. Absolutely shamed. He sounds, <laughs> <he> sounds great. <laughs> yes. I, I told that story just to shame any and all the men listening. I hope my wife does not listen to this. Um, <laughs> hey, I'm going to circle back to question two before we go on to the last one. Is that all right? Okay. All right. Yep. So the, this is the apologize one. Who who would you like to apologize to and why? God, I don't know. I don't that's that's such a hard one and I've had time to think about it as well and I don't know why. I mean, obviously I've probably done things and said things that warrant some apology to some people over the last 35 years, I'm sure. Um are you an apologizer? If, if you've done something or said something, are you quick to get on, the, you know, quick to kind of recognize? Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I think if, if you've done something wrong, yeah, definitely. I'm not going to just hold out, not apologize. Like for what? What would I, why would I not apologize? <laughs> Again, you'd be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think it's an ego thing with me really. Cause everyone just has a bad time. If you're, you know, playing ego games, you feel like shit because you're feeling like you have to, you know, constantly defend yourself or whatever. The other person's feeling like shit because they don't feel like they've been apologised to or they don't get closure. 
And it's like you're not owning your shit. So mm. you're just going to feel horrible, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. even if you've managed to fool everyone else, it's like if you don't own your shit, you know what's up. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, part of me really wants to apologize to, you know, my mate whose wedding I missed and and her family, you know, and just say, I'm just really fucking sorry that I, I didn't come to the reception and that the whole thing unfolded the way it did. Um, you know, but no one that I existentially feel deep in my heart that I want to go back and apologize to. That's good. Yeah. Look, you know, read the wedding. I, extraordinary circumstances I, I i just don't think i i don't think you could have done anything else really yeah it's hard to know it's it's i think if if i'd gone i might have regretted it if i didn't go i would have regretted it if i it's just one of those like it, weird decisions that don't really feel like they're entirely in your hands really but you had to cry over it and that's good yeah <laughs> I don't mind a good cry. Nor do I. You know, the, the Ash Barty thing, I, I think I was crying all night. Oh, that's nice. I don't know what it was, what it unlocked, but anyway. It's like when yeah. Kathy Freeman won in 2000. Do you remember that? Oh, God, gotcha. yeah. Like sometimes if I'm feeling like I need some, like, emotions to run high, I'll just YouTube <laughs> and be like, go, Kathy. I love you, Kathy. I know. I watch it every now and then as well. And just, you know, it's just that pulling away at the 150 mark, 150 meter yeah. mark. Yeah. Yeah. And then she's done it. She's done it. What a champion. What a legend. Maybe it's the other way around. Um, the, la- the last question is what would you like your last words to be? Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Bye. We have ignition sequence start. Short distance, high impact. Five, four, three, two, all engines running. Ten questions with Adam Joir. Big names, great minds. Make yourself a cup of tea. Liftoff. We have liftoff. 